Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, broadcasting nationally on the Community Radio Network and produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne. We focus on union news and workers' stories. A lot has been happening in Australian workplaces over the last few weeks as we head for the next federal election. Malcolm Turnbull, Australia's Prime Minister, has told Liberal Party members at Docklands in Melbourne on April the 8th that the last piece needed for the new economic order was the removal of unions. Turnbull and the Liberals are betting on the Anti-Union Royal Commission and the reintroduction of the Australian Building and Construction Commission, the ABCC. Not to be confused with the ABC. Some people have been confusing it, apparently. The ABCC uh, is uh, something that the Liberals are aiming for to get them over the line in the next election and to get the new economic order in place. AMMA Chief Executive Steve Knott says the Resource Industry Employer Group will certainly be lobbying the Senate crossbench in coming days to help get the legislation over the line. So, what do the workers of Australia get out of this new economic order? Well, clearly the construction and resources industries can expect a construction inspectorate on steroids when it comes to prosecutorial powers and harsher penalties for whatever is deemed wrongdoing. Every other Australian worker can expect from this new economic order, this plan from the big end of town, is a future of individual bargaining, no penalty rates, so every hour, 3am or 3pm, will be paid the same, no work-life balance, and the carrot for coming to work, having a job at all, which is already happening in the waterfront EBA negotiations. By the way, if history is anything to go by, The offer of job security is not worth the words spoken. Now, at the same time, as Malcolm is strutting his stuff, employer groups are appearing in the Fair Work Commission trying to argue that it is right to reduce their wages bill. On April the 11th in Sydney, a full bench of the Commission, including the President, Justice Ian Ross, are considering an application by hospitality and retail employers to cut the weekend pay of people who work in their industries. A decision is expected within 12 weeks of these final hearings. On April the 27th in May, the Fair Work Commission is hearing the final submissions around the Hart AMIEU versus Coles case, where Coles has argued that they are providing conditions in lieu of award rages. Hart and the Meatworkers Union disagree. The news that ex-ACCC head honcho Alan Fells, who is investigating wage theft from 7-Eleven staff, has announced that the early estimates put the theft, the wage theft, at $100 million is staggering. It tells you what type of windfall the big end of town is after with the new economic order. But it isn't all doom and gloom for workers in Australia. We are going to look at the work the NUW, the National Union of Workers, is doing with agricultural workers. 
One industry that is the canary in the mine for wage theft and slave labour conditions is the agricultural industry sector. The National Union of Workers has decided on a change of tactics to deal with this largely ununionized and thus exploited workforce. In a recent seminar, NUW organiser Tim Nelthorpe and some of the newest NUW organisers give some insight into the world of the agricultural workers and the way the union has been working to change their lives. for the last 200 years in this country. It's just probably on a higher 
extreme than you might see in some of the industries that many of us work in. A lot of migrants, uh, a lot of working holiday workers, um, a lot of seasonal workers, so from the Pacific. So if you, if you go into the big tomato farms, um, the big um, berry farms around the country, there are thousands of workers from the Pacific working on, on the seasonal worker program, much like the working holiday program allows a worker to work for one company for six months and then move on either to another employer or back home. And this comes with challenges as well. It's, it's not the traditional organising that we have to undertake with these workers. In our industry, the different um, groups of workers working in the farm sector. So you've got local rural communities. So these are fourth and fifth generation Australians that have had, well, most of them have had no union experience. So you talk to people who've been working on farms for 15, 20 years and they haven't seen a union. So us then rocking up to Sale or rocking up to Virginia in um, you know, the northern suburbs of Adelaide and saying, hi, I'm from the union. It's basically you have to have the same conversation with a 50-year-old man or woman that you're having with a 20-year-old that's just entered the workforce for the first time and really kind of educate people on what we're trying to do and how they can be, be part of that. Um, and, you know, that's met with mixed success. Um, we've, we've had up in Gyra in northern New South Wales, we've had a lot of the fourth and fifth generation Australians join the union and, you know, we've built a delegate structure um, if you um, if you look at some of the other places we've organised, though, that that's the only group we can't get to join. So we've got the, the migrants, we've got the backpackers, we've got the seasonal workers to join, and the um, the fourth and fifth generation Australians are the ones that won't join the union. So it's just different depending on the area, different depending on their relationship um, with the employer. Um, but it's yeah, it's probably like organising anywhere. We're a multicultural union amongst our membership but we really had to bring on a number of new organisers with language abilities because you go out to these sites, if I go out, three quarters of the workforce can't understand me and I can't understand them. So we've brought on people from the Cambodian community, the Hazara community, Vietnamese community, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Um, so we're really, like, not just through our um, full-time officials, but through member organisers. So we've got people who are members of our union who we've given right of entry permits, who work on the job one day and then come out the next day and work with the union. So it's kind of a blurring of the lines between what's a union official and what's a member, um, what's a delegate and what's a member. Um, so people think of the delegate as um, you know someone who is elected within the workforce by a majority of workers, and this is still the case in many of our sites, but, you know, we're looking at household delegates, things like this. So, like, if you have a group of 30 backpackers um, living in the one house, they might elect a household delegate, or a group of seasonal workers from, um, so, uh, from East Timor or from Vanuatu living in a caravan park might be a, a delegate for the caravan park. So it's just kind of reshaping what our... Old union structures, really. Um, so when we go out on site, we get all our flyers translated into many languages, depending on where workers are from. Um, that helps, you know, the communication levels. But it's really the one-to-one -one conversations that our um, our organisers from the countries I just mentioned are having that are allowing us to build some power um, on these sites. 
So we've got Taki here, um, who um, Taki will speak later, as will Son of Uller about Sorella in South Australia. So we struggled for a long time to connect with the Hazara community, um, and it was it was mainly down to language, but it was also down to cultural understanding. Um, and since Taki's come on board with the union, we've really had some breakthroughs there. We're um, bargaining at Sorella for the first time. Um, we've got Divine Ripe, which is a large tomato farm which has over 100 Hazara workers, which is well on the way to majority as well. Um, and this has been, um, through the good work of Tucky and others, um, connecting with those workers for the first time. We've, um, we've employed Sunny, who's um, uh, from Cambodia, um, also has some union experience in Cambodia, which is a little bit more dangerous than the union experience she's had here. <laughs> um, but she's, um, she's based in South Australia, but she's been travelling between South Australia and Victoria, doing a lot of house visits, you know, identifying leaders. We've got some great Cambodian delegates who we've elected over, you know, recent months. We've got Ira from Malaysia, who's just come on board with the union. So with the Malaysian community, um, big issue in farms is around undocumented workers. So people who have a tourist visa that allows them into the country but don't have work rights. So there's thousands and thousands of Malaysians working on farms without work rights, which from an organising perspective presents challenges because you can't collectively bargain in the traditional sense with these people, but there's still plenty that a union can do for them. And Ira's done a great job at um, building trust with these communities. And, you know, we, we, we visited detention centres to help workers who have, you know, been put in detention for working without work rights. We also have embarked on union inductions in Taiwan and Hong Kong. So many of the backpackers who are coming into working out in our union come from Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, got a man named Bob, who we found out at Covino as well, um, who then went on to work for the union in WA as an organiser, and he's now working on the ground in Taiwan, inducting workers before they come over here which is pretty groundbreaking, I think, and is ensuring that people hopefully understand their rights before they end up in Australia in a $10 an hour cash-in-hand job. Just briefly touch on seasonal workers um, in a little bit more detail. There's a program which includes people from East Timor, Tonga, Vanuatu, a number of other countries, these three being the biggest, where workers can come and work for six months um, in Australia, generally in horticulture, and, you know, ideally that the program, I, I imagine when it was set up, was, was intended to help people build some capacity and, and bring that back home to their families, but in practice it hasn't really played out that way. The government is actually taking any money these workers earn out of the, the foreign aid contributions to these countries, which is just disgraceful. Um, but um, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. If you go and you look at the conditions these workers are working under, very long hours, massive deductions. So I spoke to some workers in South Australia who told me they were taking home $120 a week after the deductions were taken out for um, housing, flights, accommodation, transport, and to live on $120 a week when you're working full-time is just pretty much a disgrace, you know, to this country that workers have been put through that. Despite these um, difficulties, many of these workers are joining the union and they act very collectively. So in, in terms of workers from Vanuatu, they have a very strong union history. 
So when we get the group together in their caravan park or wherever they're staying and identify the leaders, people will join the union. Um, and so now that, the, now that we've got them in the union, the challenge is how do we help them? So we've been helping people get their super when they return home. We've been helping people negotiate their own housing arrangements, um, negotiate their own transport arrangements. And what this means is more money in their pocket. And the big key is if we can connect them with people who are here more permanently, it just changes their whole experience of, of Australia. They go from feeling like an exploited six-month contractor to being part of the workforce. The good thing is, although they're only here for six months, many of these workers come back to Australia as well. So they do their six months, they go home to their home country, and then they come back again for a, a second stint. You're listening to Stick Together, union news and workers' stories. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Tim Nelthorpe, an organiser for the NUW, the National Union of Workers, has been telling us about how the NUW is organising agricultural workers. This is an industry which has been exposed as having many exploitative practices. At the same seminar, some of the newer organisers that the NUW has recruited told us some of their story. First up was Carly. Hi everyone, my name is Kayla. I'm a full-time student but also a part-time organiser of NUW. I used to work in a farm which is the large vegetable supply in Victoria named Covino. And there have been reports from South, Shepparton, Swan Hill and other regional areas about houses they fill with people and rents coming to take people to work every day. All those workers they can earn around thirty dollars an hour. But it is more like after the labor hire contractor deducted transportation and other fees. Um, some of my friends, they still, um, they live in the free room house with 15 people and they pay 100 per week for the, to the labor hire contractor for the accommodation fees. And in my workplace I used to work before, there is no overtime pay, um, verbal abuse, sexual harassment, and very insecure work. I would like to share one of the stories from a Taiwanese girl. She's contractor asked her into sexual act in return for Australian visa sign-off. And this is just one of the cases and is still happening across Australia. Um, I know that a lot of countries um, they doesn't have a strong union as Australia like China, Taiwan and Malaysia. Sometimes it's a bit hard to make people understand collective action can can make people get a better life. But I think it just <coughs> takes time and I believe that we can work work it out together. When workers they are um, they are changing their life by they joining join their unions. But we also need to get rid of those dodgy labor hire contractor. On the other hand, as I told everyone here before, I am a full time 
international student. Um, part of the language barriers and cultural barriers, we are facing one of the most important thing is we can only allow to work 20 hours per week. And um, however, many of the students they have to work extra hours to support their exams. And um, most of students they fear that if they complain about being ripped off by employer, they will be deported for breaching their visa conditions. To be honest, if um, if we are not here on a scholarship and we have to pay our own bills, it becomes really difficult. We need an extra job to cover all those of the daily life. And people, they are being paid way below the minimum wage because we are only limited to 20 hours and the money we are getting is not, is not satisfied to our daily life and many of us are compared to work the extra hour and that is where the exploitation comes in. For that point, I believe that if the government leave the long-standing work restriction on international students to allow us to work at least 30 hours per week, the exploitation will be much more or less. Yeah. And um, I have to apologize that I have to leave in soon, but I will leave the time to all my awesome, yeah, awesome <laughs> organizers to talk about the following. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, from ethnic Hazara community from Afghanistan, which are persecuted in Afghanistan for a very long time. <clears throat> and I was uh, around six years old uh, uh, when my parents, they moved to Pakistan and I spent all of my time in Pakistan as a refugee. Uh, this is the same as me, every workers when they're coming from southeastern uh, countries of uh, Asia, uh, I, we have similar story, we have similar difficulties. So in, in this point, I want to say thanks for the National, uh, National Union of Workers that they give me uh, this chance. And they, uh, I'm working at the moment with the National Union of Workers. So it's a good way I can help the laborers, I can help the workers, I can uh, explain for them, especially people from my country, people from Pakistan, India, because I can speak five languages. And uh, when I'm going to the sites, uh, like for example in Zerilao, there are few people uh, uh, speaking Pashto languages, language, and no, uh, no one can speak Pashto here in Adelaide. So when I was talking with them in Pashto and I explaining for them, this is your right, you can do this, you can, if you can join the union, so you can uh, get uh, your rights properly. So they become very happy, uh, still they cannot speak one word of English. Uh, so a lot of workers in South Australia, in Melbourne, they're working here and they, they're not speaking English and they, they don't know what is the, their rights. Especially in Zerila, 
uh, workers, they're working 74 hours in a week. They're working seven days per, uh, every uh, every week sometimes. They're working six days, seven days working. And every day they're working 12 hours. Uh, some of them, they're working more than 12 hours. Like the company uh, misusing <coughs> them because they cannot speak English, they not understand what's their rights. The company uh, just asking them, if you work good, if you work, uh, work with us, we, we can give you more hours. So they're using this uh, issue and they, uh, they're using them for seven days and they, they, the company earning millions of dollars, but they're not providing them overtime. They cannot, they're not paying them. <coughs> uh, still, they, uh, uh, like in Zerila, the people, they, they take the oven and microwave they take from the roadside and bring it to the kitchen and they using the the company they're not providing a, a microwave to, for them to to warm their cook, uh, food and still uh, they don't have fridge one of my friend uh, Hazara workers he's working in Zerila he said uh, there was I have the I have the picture of the fridge it was very bad condition inside the fridge so they, they say we bring this fridge from the roadside and we bring put it here, we're using this fridge. So the company when we investigate, I think they're earning uh, millions of dollars every year, but they're not, they're not, they're not uh, ready to bring a fridge for the workers. Uh, so I can't believe when I went to Zerila, I can't believe this is Australia. In Australia it's a first world country, what's going on here in, in this country. So uh, this is the... Uh, it's very good now we bring the workers together and we uh, explain for them especially uh, I'm very happy that I can speak five languages and I speak with the people from India, from Bangladesh, from Nepal, from Afghanistan, from Iran uh, and from Pakistan and I'm explaining for them look this is your right if you all become together and can, if you get united then you can get your rights it's, this is Australia and UK, you have rights to, to complain. Thank you so This is Stick Together and you've been listening to Tariq Khan, an ethnic Azari man who works with the NUW to support workers get their work rights in the agricultural industries in Australia. This week on Stick Together, we have been hearing about what the National Union of Workers has been doing to unionise an industry which has been mostly flying under the radar and been a bastion of worker exploitation. We heard from NUW organisers Tim Nelthorpe, Carly and Tariq Khan. Thanks to you for listening and I hope to encourage you to share your stories by going to the Stick Together's Facebook page. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.